Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank squad and welcome to the Ranks FC podcast, your favourite football podcast. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. Joining me is Mr. Sam Sy, the Rank God. Hello, my friend. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Boys, how are we? Good. Dean, we're getting to the end of your uh, your, your, your form season. You know, we're, we, we thought we'd let you lead off this episode because it's, you know, we're getting eight days now, seven days to the end of the, the transfer window. We're really starting to, to get into the nitty gritty of it. And uh, there's a lot to happen yet, it feels like. Do you know what? I actually don't like this week. Um, Shock. There's more, There's much more stuff to talk about, actually, in all the other weeks, usually. And then deadline week just becomes a lot of nonsense is spouted. And I spend more time chasing stuff that's not true, like dismissing it, than finding out stuff that's actually <laughs> happening. Um, so that, that, that becomes quite annoying, and I'm not looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, there are some, there is a few big ones that, that could still happen. There are a few squads with big holes in them. There are a few players who are stuck and at the moment in danger of playing no football across the next nine months. So there's a lot to be done. And I think between the three of us, we'll, um, we'll try and help out a few people. Yeah, I think that's, that makes sense, doesn't it? So what we're going to do in, in, in the main part of today's rankings, we're going to do three mini rankings, which is fun. Uh, Dean's going to talk about three moves that might well happen. Uh, Sam's going to talk about three players that desperately need a move. And then I'm going to talk about three clubs that really need to get a move on. Um, so there's a lot of moving going on uh, over the course yeah. of this episode. But then again, it is the transfer window. And before we get into that, well, we're going to do things we love. Um, but before we get into things we love, returning, of course, for this week, it is worth shouting out that we've actually been nominated for an award. Um, we <laughs> have been nominated in the Best International Creators category uh, at the FCA. So if you go onto their website or their Instagram, to be perfectly honest with you, um, you can vote for, for us in that category. We're up against some pretty big international club creators. We're against uh, some of the boys from Milan, um, some of the boys from, from the the Netherlands and we've got uh, some stiff competition especially Algerian football is actually genuinely well good website um so it's quite interesting to to be up against um some big names and it's, it's a different kind of I said different kind of category that we're normally in so it makes it makes life a, a bit interesting for us but yeah if you if you fancy going and giving yeah. us a vote the link's going to be in the description of this episode um but also you can just head over to the FCA's website or the their Instagram and uh, drop us a vote there. We'd be hugely appreciative of it. Um, let's get into things we love. Apart from us getting nominated, we bloody love that. Um, but yeah, Sam, do you want to kick <laughs> us off? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, look, first off, low key, and let me kind of nerd out for a second here. I really, really love the graphics that Tottenham are using on Twitter for things like halftime score, full-time score, and man of the match. And I must be having like... <laughs> some kind of midlife crisis to really notice this and for it to really capture my attention. But I keep noticing mm. it and I keep, I keep loving it. They've gone really simplistic. They pick a beautiful photo. They put some really simple, big, clean text over it. A couple of numbers, a couple of crests, and that's it. It's a lot of empty space. It's letting the photo do the work. The one they picked for their loss in Portugal last week in the Europa Conference League was beautiful. It's such a shame that the result really marred that graphic. But whatever. Anyway, that's that's my midlife crisis over. What I really love this week is the return of Ruben Rochina to Granada. Now, I am not sure what shape this man is in, is in, in 2021. Uh, Granada sold him to Ruben Kazan in 2016 for 9 million. And five years later, via Levante, he has returned. But what shape he's in actually doesn't really matter to me. The, the the reason I love this is because he was part of the Granada side that I went to watch in 2016, who ironically beat Levante 5-1. Um, I fell in love with that weird, silly, crazy, stupid side, and Rochina was a big part of it. And in the time that he's gone, Granada have been relegated, promoted, they've been to the Europa League, they've played at Old Trafford in a quarter-final, and it's been a lot of up and down. It's been tumultuous, and a lot, well, 
almost every single member of that 2016 side has departed bar good old Dimitri Fulquier, who I still love to bits. So I think it's lovely for Dimitri to welcome back an old friend from those times in Ruben Rochina. And I'm just gassed because he was part of the team that I fell in love with. He's one of the OGs and he's back. I don't care if he's any good. He's back. It's, it's a nice one, isn't it? I mean, I, I actually recall Ruben Rochina signing for Blackburn yeah. and then scoring, I think, one of the most amazing goals against Leeds. If you, do you remember, it was a back heel in the like yeah. 94th minute to like basically salvage a three-all draw. And everyone was like, wow, Ruben Rochina is the greatest player of all time. I think Fulham were linked with him for years when he was a Blackburn. Um, and then he obviously traipsed off into the into the wilderness of, uh, of La Liga and uh, and went to, went to play for your boys. But um, we, I remember him being a delight when he was a Blackburn and, uh, and, and carrying on from there. So I'm quite happy for you, Sam, to be honest. Yeah. Are you going to get to a game soon, Sam? Are you, going to, are you planning to get to Granada this season? Just got my... Uh... Second back. Got your second jab now, yeah. So, yes, got, you know. Season ticket incoming. Well, yeah, what do you, I mean, you can, you can fly directly to Granada from London City Airport. Uh, nice. Cheap. Very cheap, cheap, very quick, very close to my house. And you so, don't have to uh, be there two hours before takeoff in London City. You can just no. you can no, just it's amazing, isn't it? You just get there, have a quick plane. pint, <laughs> quick pint, jump on. Yeah, it's awesome. What a place. It is a wonderful place. Lovely. All right, I'm going to take us away from Granada. I'm going to take us into the thing I loved this weekend, which I'm just determining the cha- the chaotic return of Serie A. Um, Ten games in Serie A this weekend, obviously, uh, and it came back with a bang. Now, I know Sam had been a little bit sceptical of Serie A this year before it began. It was Sam, um, my interest, you know, Sam always has a second league that he's intrigued in and it rotates the strike quite a lot. So a couple of years back, it was the Bundesliga. I remember Sam being absolutely fascinated by everything that happened in Germany. Last year, I think it was Italy. This year, it feels like it's probably France. But Serie A reminded everyone just why. It's such a brilliant league this week. 36 goals, so 3.6 per game on average so far. Six red cards. The VAR drama in Udinese versus <laughs> Juventus. The fact that Paolo Dybala came back and just absolutely was wonderful and, and, and an absolute joy to watch. Zajoya back in full flow. Tammy roaring into life for Roma. Zaniolo getting sent off against his boyhood club. Napoli making it absolutely impossible to work out if they're any good or not because Osimhen got sent off about 10 seconds into the game. Um, and then they beat <laughs> Venezia with 10 men. Uh, Chao Hanoglu's unreal 15 minutes for Inter and that very fluid attacking Inter side and the fact that Edin Dzeko slotted in like he'd been there for years is Sergei Milinkovic Savage masterclass at Empoli as Sarri sunk his old side the Dionisi era Sassuolo getting off to about as hectic a start as I think Roberto De Zerbi would have been proud of uh, in Verona and of course <laughs> last night number 10 Brahim Diaz stepping up to the plate for AC Milan uh, and well really getting the, the goal that kick-started their season as well. And there was a lot of people missing for Milan last night, it felt. And, and, and Brian took the, took the onus upon himself to sort things out. And it, it was really, really wonderful to watch. So I, I think that's a huge shout-out for, for Serie A. Massive, massive, brilliant weekend. Yeah, Sunday was Sunday night was absolute carnage, wasn't it? It was amazing. That Roma game was fantastic. Tammy's impact, Tammy's debut was was something to behold. And then last night, while everybody else was being entranced by Mikel Antonio's world class number nine performance against Leicester City, I was sat there watching Mike uh, Magnon in goal for Milan, genuinely bail them out of what could have been a terrible start to their league campaign. Milan were not good on Monday night. They were missing a lot of players. But as Matteo Bonetti tweeted brilliantly, um, Teo Hernandez looked like he was in mid-season Ibiza form. And that was unfortunately was something that um, it affected quite a lot of that squad. No Kessie, no Bonassa, no Zlatan. Yeah, they weren't great, but they got the job done. That's all it's about, isn't it? That week one. If you're not ready, just get the win, however, however you can. And Mike Magnon, what a start. What a start to life as, Milan, as a Milan goalkeeper, making sure that Donnarumma is not missed just yet. The save he makes from the Gabbiadini free kick is absolutely outrageous. Palms it onto the bar. This free kick from about 35 yards. I'm going to by the way, like great Val. Him just banging in free kicks from 35 yards. Um, and He did his ankle, didn't he? Did you see? He, he was yeah. in tears. Oh, man. Such a shame for Gabbiadini. But yeah, Manu, the, the best one he did was it was offside in the end, but Ibrima Colley backheeled sort of like a second ball in towards him. He made a double save that I just didn't think was possible. Yeah, it was great. Awesome. Great. 
Absolutely excellent. So yeah, shouts out to Sedia, shouts out to Mike Magnon, uh, which leaves us with you, DJ. I just love watching Memphis. I just love watching Memphis at the moment. So um, yes, just going to give him some love. Um, we did this on Patreon the other day, but obviously not everybody's on there. So um, at the weekend, Athletic Club really took the game to Barcelona. Um, you know, got a bit of a soft spot for, for Athletic Club, not going to lie, since we uh, jumped on the new balance ship. Um, we've, en- we've enjoyed a, a bit of work for those guys. But yeah, they they were leading that game and you're looking for somebody to step up. And obviously, you'd always look to Messi and naturally now you have to look towards Memphis Depay. And do you know what? He, he's stepping up. He is stepping up and... He's just beautiful to watch. And it's like, not just because he's got the arrogance to believe that he's good enough to step into to Messi's shoes, but like some of the stuff he can do with a ball, the way that he can pluck a ball out of the air, especially there was one that came up and the ball was way over his shoulder. And somehow he pulls out this like ballet move and he's like got his, his like leg is vertically up in the air, pulling it down. It's unbelievable. And then, his goal is just ridiculous. The power with which he slams home the equaliser is phenomenal, really. Angry Memphis goal. He was like, why are we losing? This is not why I joined Barcelona. I do not want to be losing to Athletic Club. And he just slams one into the top corner. Um, he set up a good chance for Brathwaite in the, earlier in the game, which he missed as well. He really has to figure out the free kicks is his big thing. I mean, because now Barcelona are getting free kicks 30 yards from goal and they are no longer always going in the top corner. So they are going to be down about 20 goals this season unless somebody can step up to that plate. Um, but also, there's the, the other thing I'm excited about happening is just to see him get on the wavelengths as a few of the players in that team because sometimes I think he just doesn't realise that the other players are on his wavelength. Like at Lyon, he was obviously always having to do a lot of it himself and couldn't rely on the other players' to, minds to be quite at that same speed. And so now he holds on for it a second too long or doesn't anticipate something, even when like Frankie's got it, he obviously knows well. But De Jong a couple of times was like, have the ball, release it or be in a good spot. And, and they just weren't quite there, but that's going to come. And yeah, it's plenty to look forward to with Barcelona. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. We'll uh, we'll move on. But I think just before we get into our main transfer section, it is worth pointing out that Mikel Antonio did the best celebration of all time last night. He <laughs> literally spent about five minutes dancing around with a cardboard cutout of himself, um, which he then kissed on the head after becoming West Ham's record Premier League goal scorer. Um, and he did basically the, the celebration of Dirty Dancing, where he like lifted it up above his head um, and then quoted the wrong film in his post-match interview as well. So uh, it, it was yeah. just an absolute masterclass from Mikel Antonio as a, as a <coughs> knife, right? And it, it was incredible incredibly wonderful to watch because you know someone who's gone from I was it three seasons ago Mikel Antonio was a utility player that featured a right back seven times like and now he is like a genuinely terrifying number nine option who can hold off in, in fact the way that he treated Jaglas Soyuncu for the second goal that he scores is is genuinely bullying it's like you're like oh god it's exactly what Lukaku did to Pablo Mari for lots of the Arsenal game and I think if Lukaku had done that to a player we'd all be going absolutely mad so we should give Mikel Antonio his dues because it was Chags had an absolute Chags had a night, terrible game a really really <laughs> a bad game, game. <laughs> um, but look West Ham were excellent they're top of the league and Mikel Antonio is uh, is turning into the one of the most scary number nines in Europe so you know yeah. what all credit him and Bobby Dover Reed up front for uh, for Jamaica, they're winning the next World Cup. That's they can have Leon Bailey on one side, you know, and they have whipping in crosses, and then and then on the other side we have got Mikel Antonio and Bobby Reed behind him. It's gonna be it's gonna be monstrous. Go on the reggae boys, as far as I'm concerned. That's uh, yeah. this is my uh, my latest my latest very excited about everything moment in uh, in, in terms <laughs> of international football. Um, but with that, let's get on to our main ranking. So we'll be back in a second. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time to talk transfers. And Dean, you're going to kick us off with some well interesting moves that might well happen towards the end of this window. Yeah, I mean, whether they happen this window, next window, I'm not sure. But there are a few storylines right now that are, are pretty big. And I want to start actually with the one that won't go away, and it's Kylian Mbappe. Now, all summer I've been told, wait till the last week of the window. Madrid are planning to give it a go. Um 
and you kind of think, okay, well, that's a long, that's a long build up here. Like I've got three or four months of content to fill before <laughs> that week. Come on, Paris. <laughs> yeah. How do you keep, how do you expect me to keep people tagged along for all that time? Um, so I thought, okay, fair enough. Let's see what happens. Then obviously PSG go and sign Messi and Mbappe seems to be quite excited about that, that front line that he's going to be a part of. But then you're also thinking, okay, well, Mbappe can't possibly fit into this financially. Real Madrid want him. This is the time he goes. And and now we are actually seeing in the last 24 hours, a lot of reports and now interestingly coming out of France, whereas before they were just from Spain saying that, you know, this could be, it could be the time that Mbappe does leave. Um, look, Madrid want him now. They they would wait until 2022. If they could sign him tomorrow, they would. And interesting that Mbappe has refused to sign a new deal. And, and even further than that, he's now told uh, the Qatari owners that his desire is to move on. And he feels that he's always had this um I guess you could call it a gentleman's agreement in place whereby PSG was never viewed by Mbappe as the club that he would remain at for the rest of his career. Um, It was viewed as a club that he was excited to join. He knew it was a a step up for him. He wanted to help them get to where they wanted to be. But ultimately, it was a platform that would elevate him to becoming a superstar. And he's got there. And now he's ready to go again to where he thinks he needs to be for the next five years, whatever it is in his career to, to take him on again to a new challenge and um, different trophies, I guess. Um, so yeah, this is now becoming interesting and I will see whether this can materialize. I mean, PSG seem pretty firm on the stance that they don't want to let Mbappe go right now. Obviously he becomes free next summer. So in January, we could see that Real Madrid strike then if they can't get it done in the next seven days. But keep an eye on this storyline because it's it's really taken off in the last 24 hours. Um, and some some reporters that are usually very reliable um, on, well, Mbappe stories and, and PSG stories and Real Madrid stories are all kind of firming this up. This would be an unbelievable tale to, to come around late. Look, by the time people are listening, PSG have probably put out another message that he's not going anywhere. But until the windows close, we don't know for sure. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because, like, you know, you speak about January as well. And and, and right now, what, what does that offer look like? Are we talking 150 million, 120 million before, you know, or, or what you can get Mbappe out of PSG for now? Surely if that goes to January, it's suddenly well, it doesn't half, but it's it drops, right? Because they're like, well, we can sign on a pre-contract now. We're almost doing this to to make sure that it's fair. Tell us what they'll do. Yeah, they'll do a pre-contract. That's exactly it. So you're basically, you're going to lose him for nothing. Um, they just signed five players for pretty much nothing. So maybe it's not the end of the world that they lose one for nothing. But obviously that that's not ideal when you've got a player like that. And they were hoping he would sign like even a one-year add-on just so they give him some value. Um like he's not going to do that because he doesn't want to limit himself and get stuck in a way that you've seen other players get stuck in recent times. Um, I just think that this as well from, from a Madrid point of view is is so interesting because they have a lot of forward options this season, but their starting three is Hazard, Bale and Benzema. They've then got Vinicius Jr. as the guy that's making the difference off the bench. Bring in Mbappe and you win the league, and and not and more than that, the way they look at it is at a time when Messi has <clears> just <throat> left, you can begin a domination of La Liga here because you've got Mbappe through the door, and that encourages I don't know Pogba to come and join next or Haaland to come and join next. That's the kind of domino effect that Madrid want to set in place, and it's possible. It's possible. Um, you see cycles, you see teams disappear for a couple of years. I'm not saying Madrid totally disappeared by any means, but they haven't been as dominant as they were a few years back and they'll be very, very hungry to come back soon. All right, mate, what's in at number two then? Well, I'm going to do one here that is attached to this story and the, the player involved isn't quite as sexy a name as Kylian Mbappe, but it is an interesting storyline because it's linked to this deal and it's it's that Richarlison has his eyes on going to PSG. Now, if if Madrid do go for Mbappe, this window, even if it's not this window, they see Richarlison as a guy that can come into the fold in Paris and 
kind of take his career onto the next chapter as well. And um, so these reports have, have started to circulate a little bit. Um, I was checking it out last night, and, and it is true that in the last week, PSG have, have kind of touched base with Richarlison about his situation. Um, people around the deal are, let's say, sceptical about the chances of it happening before the August 31st deadline. Um, Richarlison is very happy at Everton. But since Carlo Ancelotti left, it's definitely been a little part of his mind that's become a bit more open to leaving. He himself has actually always liked the idea of going to Real Madrid, and he's seen that as as a, a good place. I was going to say that was the that in. was the chat at the start, wasn't it? It was it was it Real was, Madrid, yeah. not PSG, and now it looks well, it's like the it's Carlo a bit link, isn't it? Well, exactly. Yeah, but if they're getting Kylian Mbappe, then PSG just basically go for the next guy, and the PSG route as a lot of scope to open up, um, and especially as the interest is genuine. Richarlison, on a personal note, look, he'd love the chance to play with Neymar. He's a, he's a guy that is a close friend of his, but more than that, he's also a footballing idol um, of his, and I'm told that he would really love that opportunity to play with him at some point if he can. His representatives have very close links to PSG and, and the board. They feel that he could really thrive as part of this project as he starts to look at what his next challenge will be. That Richarlison's got big ambitions. He's, being at Everton has kind of been a platform for him globally. Um, certainly not where he sees the story ending. He's not going to be signing a new five-year contract at Everton. Um, this is this is really interesting. And the Mbappe twist that's coming in this last week just makes you wonder, and probably a bit nervous if you're an Everton fan, is does this all kick in? What if Mbappe does go Madrid? What if Richarlison then ends up at PSG by the end of this window? Like they can sign, it could be a crazy Sarabia ending. back as part of a, as part of the deal. Just like just just have yeah. Sarabia. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a great <laughs> signing. Great signing for Everton. Yeah. Dean, do you happen to know yeah. if there's any kind of release clause in play for Richarlison, or are they going to have to barter with Everton for their star man with potentially a couple of days to go? Yeah, no, I don't think there's a release on him, as far as I know. Um, so they're going to have to, have to pay up. I, I don't think it's going to be ridiculous money, to be honest. Everton have known about Richarlison's stance for a while. Um, Kia Jirabchian, um has been around and, say, pushing Richarlison to other clubs is probably a bit strong, but he's made it known that if Richarlison was to wants to move, then he can help create some avenues that, that would help make that happen. Um, his agent, that's his, literally his job. Um, but yeah let's let's see Um, I think it's exciting one I mean if you're Richarlison right now are you excited about the Rafa Benitez era or is your head now like okay come on I see some people getting some good moves here I want to be part of this let me jump on yeah it's a, it's an interesting one. Look, I mean, everything has started better than I perhaps thought they were going to, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I was a little bit concerned about Everton and, and the way that it was going to play out under Rafa this season. And they're, they're better unit than, than I thought they were going to be, which is good if you're an Everton fan, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And, and look, fair play to Rafa because he's, he, he started, uh, he started in a way that has potentially started to dispel the clouds over the fact that there was a lot of, you know, dark feeling towards Rafa at Goodison at the time. There wasn't particularly too many people invested in him coming in. Um, and, and also on top of that, it looked like the signings weren't going to be ones that made huge amounts of difference. Now that's, you know, kind of loosened a little bit with four points out of the first two, um, you know, one at, one at Ellen Road, which is an notoriously difficult place to go. So when that happens, it's a little bit, you know, okay, pressure off a wee bit, but suddenly you lose your star man and, uh, and, and you could be in trouble. But it'd be incredibly interesting to see if Everton have a contingency plan in place here because that's going to be an incredibly hard one to, to replace. One little knock-on effect as well, as we know that James Rodriguez is, is not delighted about the fact that Carlo was gone. He was there for Carlo and after a year, that's happened. If Richarlison were to leave, if you're Hammers, you'd be like, really? Like, it's, it's, it, it's potentially a domino effect the wrong way, uh, which I'd be a bit worried about. But I think we're, we're all in agreement here that we're placing these, we're placing the probability of this one as pretty low for now at least, but this is going to rumble on. 
yeah, yeah. again like it's, it's like the Mbappe one if it's if it's not now it's in it's in 2022 so um, these are all transfers that are being worked on and and nobody's too sure when all the pieces will fall into place yeah absolutely absolutely which leaves us with one big one DJ what have you got I mean, we've got to talk about Harry Kane, haven't we? I mean, here we are, the final week of the transfer window. He wanted to leave before the Euros even began. Um, he's still there. Not only is he still at Tottenham, he's actually played for Tottenham the other day and he, he thought he'd played his last game. He'd said goodbye to his teammates and staff at the end of last season. And as far as he was concerned, he was drawing a line under his Tottenham career. Um, yeah, it hasn't worked out yet. Uh, he that still must be want- so awkward. <laughs> it must be weird, mustn't it? <laughs> it must be so weird. Um, like he still wants to go, obviously. City still want him. Daniel Levy is annoying everyone because he doesn't want to have any conversations about this. Um, City, as I'm told, are like pretty much set up to sign Kane to the extent that there have been, even been discussions like privately about how would they announce him? Like if they were to sign Harry Kane, like what would they have to do to to announce that site. And it makes sense that you would, you would have actually had meetings like that, I guess, because if you are making a splash and setting a British record transfer fee, then your announcement videos and social media stuff needs to be pretty cool. Um, so I guess you would, as if that was your job, then you need to have that in mind. Um, but at the moment, this isn't really moving. And Daniel Levy is insisting that, um, well, he doesn't want to have the conversations and that no form, new formal offers arrived. It's an interesting one because I'm told that City have been trying to lodge a bid of £125 million and that they just can't get Levy to negotiate around it and let them know what it's actually going to take and why won't you talk to us like we're trying to sign one of your players. Uh, it does seem very weird and I think Kane is a bit disappointed, I guess is the best way to put it, that Tottenham are not treating his situation with a bit more respect that he feels he deserves after the performances he's put in for him, the years that he's put in for them. He was hoping to leave on good terms. He was hoping that this could all be quite straightforward. He, I think he thought that Man City were going to make things a little easier for him with that opening bid that was a hundred million and was never really going to be enough. Um, but also he's nervous because like Sam says, it's awkward. Yeah. But more than that, this might define how the rest of his career pans out because the chances of Man City hanging around to sign him next year are very low. Like Harry Kane getting towards like 29 and the value that he holds, the risk of injury, um, the way the market's going to change over the next year, Haaland becoming available things start to change very quickly in this game. And while all the focus is on Kane right now for City, I don't think it necessarily will be. And Kane knows that. So we will see a final push, I'm told, like for City to sign him. Like this bid, they hope they can actually get Daniel Levy to acknowledge. (laughs) And then we're just kind of going to have to see how much it is because to be honest, it's got to be quite a big offer um, to one, get Levy's attention and really take him by surprise and give him what he wants. We're told 160 million would probably be what Levy is looking for. It doesn't really want to lose him really at any cost, but if you get offered 160 million pounds for Harry Kane, it's hard to say no. Obviously, you need to replace him too, but let's see if, if City can put a forward an, an offer that has those sort of add-ons, then we might yet see an unbelievable transfer take place, which really, really adds another another layer to the Premier League title race because we've seen the difference Lukaku's made to Chelsea in a week. I imagine this City team also has a number nine called Harry Kane. It's uh, it's quite a statement, isn't it? It's it's quite the it's quite the storyline in England. It's it's the one that sort of hangs over everything. And and obviously, when the England captain is going to be up for well, not for sale, clearly, but uh, you know, in, in transfer negotiations, <laughs> then then there's always going to be that element that this is a, a little bit strange and a little bit bigger than everything else. But 
There's also, I think, an increasing feeling among City fans, at least from where I'm sitting on, on social, that they're like, bin this off, let's go and get someone else. Um, and it does start to feel like the tide is starting to shift. And look, that's not Harry Kane's fault, but he'll also be aware that that kind of thing can happen, that it's not necessarily you know anything to do with him and he's not holding out and it's not to do... But City fans are like, look, this, this is going to get dragged to the last day and we're not getting anything, and we're not getting anywhere. Move on, like move to someone else, move to a second choice or sit tight and wait and see if you can convince Erling Haaland to come next summer and, and suddenly that dynamic starts to shift from early in the window going we're getting Harry Kane this is the best thing that could possibly happen ever to you know what bin this and just and just start to think and I'm seeing shouts for Dusan Vlavic saw a few shouts last night for Mikel Antonio which did make me laugh um, <laughs> but you know on the whole you know it does feel like City fans are a bit like look if this is just if Levy's going to be you know pr- protective about this and there's just no way we can get through Let's just start to think a little bit more laterally. Yeah, but this is this is the natural human emotional response to a transfer saga, isn't it? This is what we sure. do in our minds. This is how we this is how we play things out. Tottenham fans started the summer, oh my god, we can't lose him, we can't lose him, we can't lose him. Five weeks later, you're just sick of it. And then they're like, Oh, can we just get this done? Can we get it over and done with? Then it turns into it's like a five stages of grief thing, isn't it? Um, and then you get Tottenham fans singing, are you watching Harry Kane as Tottenham beat Man City? The mood changes again. And on the other end of the spectrum, City fans are doing the same. They go from excitement, as you say, to, oh, really? This again? Seven weeks later, we still haven't got him? Let's just move on. It's just the way we react to things. No doubt about it. If City signed Kane on deadline day, those City fans will be buzzing. It's just <laughs> the way we handle things and deal with things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, you get to that point and you're like, oh, you know what, Harry Kane, yeah, sure. But, you know, it was, it was all the reasons we, we spoke about at the start of the summer, right? And we talked about this when it first came out a lot. We were talking about the fact that the money involved for someone at his age with a history of injury problems, no matter that he is an unbelievably top class, absolutely elite tier number nine. No one's debating that, right? No one's... No one's ever going to try and and argue that that's not the case but you know with his injury record at his age at this kind of money you're looking at it going "Mm, mm, maybe and and suddenly you get to get people start to feel that sentiment further on and you're looking at what what people are asking for for other center forwards across europe and and look this is a side managed by Pep Guardiola, right? Yeah, sure, he wants Harry Kane because Harry Kane is brilliant. But there's also an element you think, right, if you can get a goal-scoring player in there, someone that is actually going to finish these chances, does it need to be an £160 million signing? Or can you bring someone in here that can allow you to still go into that market for Erling Haaland next year? Because that's obviously playing on the back of everybody's mind, aside from Chelsea, who are just like, now it's done. It's going to splash on everyone. Um, but, you know, that's where it is. They're going to sign Haaland next summer as a... Tra- as- as a partner for Lukaku. Imagine that. <laughs> it would um it would be quite something, wouldn't it? So I mean look, we'll see how it plays out, but I'm sure we're not done with this saga yet by any stretch of the imagination. So um one one we'll be keeping you up to date with as best we can. Um Sam, over to you. We're gonna talk about three players who desperately need to get out of their clubs. Yeah, three players I think just really need a really need a move. And um, I'll just start with a little bit of housekeeping here. It applies to Dean as well. We're recording Tuesday morning. These things move so unbelievably fast. So Dean's presenting some stuff there. By the time this comes out, you never know what might have happened. And this applies to me as well because I put my original list of three together and I had uh, Tiamui Bakayoko on it last night before we recorded this i sort of checked this out with a couple of contacts and i was basically came to the conclusion that by the time this podcast goes out bakayoko may have already got his move because i think he might be going back to ac milan so he's not on it but he would have been i've also included no players like danny drinkwater who i think are actually quite happy not playing football um and no one in the barcelona wage bill conversation because that's too boring so we'll start with number three i'll go with alvaro odriozola real madrid right back He's been at Real Madrid for three years now. He's made 31 La Liga appearances. No one that has managed Real Madrid during this period has really seemed to like him very much. And he's been loaned out to Bayern and barely used there. He's not been used in the first two La Liga games of the season. Actually, the starting right back has been Lucas Vasquez. And Carvajal came on as a sub in one of those games and he signed a new deal in July, a new four-year deal. The writing for me is on the wall. And it's the same old story for Audrey. You know, he's not quite good enough for Real Madrid. And that's okay, dude. Most people aren't. But like, 
he's good enough to play for just about every Europa League side on the planet and some Champions League sides as well. He's a good footballer and I want to see him out there playing football. He's at tw- he's reached 25 years of age and he's barely featured since he was 22 when he was breaking through. It just disappoints me really that I then like, pop his name into Google and he says that he wants to reject a transfer and stay and fight for his place. It's like, Audrey, mate, we've been here before. It's the same old story. I'll never criticise a player too heavily for backing their own ability and backing themselves because that's how you that's get how you get there. That yeah. is how you get to this point. Elite footballers back themselves. They believe in themselves. You don't get to this stage unless you do. But we're three years in. And I'm just like, come, I want to see him play football first and foremost, because he's really good. So he doesn't deserve to rot away on the bench. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, we don't know how good he is anymore <laughs> because he hasn't played any minutes. <laughs> and it makes it really difficult to judge where his level is, right? At this point, and you're like, okay, look, I get it. I understand. And I see where you're coming from. And I appreciate that you're trying to stick around and it's a new era and all that. But it comes to it and it just happens again and again and again. And I think at that point, you're right. You do have to just look at it and go, but man, you're, you're kind of you're kind of wasting your years away here. You're wasting your prime years away as well. You know, there's there's a lot to be to be said for for players who go away and and make their mark. And look at Chelsea's thing, right? They, they let players out, they go away, they they make their mark, and then they buy them back for loads of money. <laughs> and it's not to say that your days at Real Madrid are over. You know, it's to say go out and prove yourself and prove that you should be involved in this conversation. And when that happens, it makes life just a wee bit easier, right? It does, yeah. And with Audrey Azola, like he's not a perfect right back. Definitely has some problems in his game. Even well, he did when I last saw him play when he was twenty-two. Um, but he, one thing he really did have when he was breaking through was a tremendous engine, an amazing amount of stamina, and his ability to get up and down the pitch all day was so impressive. And you're talking about there, Jack, about him being in his prime years. I mean, these are physical attributes that you need to take advantage of when you're 22, 23, 24, 25. And he's missed them. And look, maybe it just delays because he hasn't played much. Maybe he unleashes that from 25 to 28. I don't know. But another reason as to why I'm thinking, Audrey, get out there and strike your stuff, man. Yeah, surprised Arsenal haven't at least given it a go because they're looking for a right back. And um, they're trying Kieran Trippier, who wants to join Man United. And I don't think he wants to join Arsenal at all. So... Why aren't they looking down avenues like that? Like, you've just got to be looking for players that are out of favour and surely need to prove something. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll get on to Arsenal. <laughs> get on to Arsenal. But um, we, we go on. Sam, who's it to? Yeah, number two, I've gone for Amadou Diawara at Roma, 24-year-old central midfielder. Someone we spotlighted, actually, on one of our Friday Patreon episodes uh, earlier in the season. Do come and join us on uh, Patreon if you haven't already. It was around the time that Jose Mourinho was appointed as Roma manager. And I brought Diawara up because I had a sneaky feeling that he and Jose wouldn't mesh stylistically. Now, it's very early days and I'm not putting a final nail in anyone's coffin here, but I'm starting to think my hunch was correct. Uh, Roma played a ridiculous number of preseason friendlies. Is it nine, Jack, in the end? Yeah. And they've also played a Conference League qualifier and their Serie A opener. So look, the large majority of those games don't count. But it's 11 games and Diawara has barely been seen, to be honest with you. The midfield in pre-season was a lot of uh, Darbo and Bove, the, the youth players that Mourinho was trying out. Jack, you covered that in another Friday Patreon episode a couple of weeks ago. Uh, do come and join us if you haven't already. And now, <laughs> and now, now, this is actually an advert in the middle of the pod that Sam's just stuck in. Like, Excuse me, like, um, everyone, all right? And now, like, we're into the real thing. We're into the Conference League. We're into Serie A, and it's Veritu, it's Brian Cristante, it's Gonzalo Villar's in the picture. Pellegrini can drop back if he needs to. Mancini can actually step forward into holding midfield if he needs to. Uh, it's too many bodies, and there's also a part of me that says. Diawara, a very smooth, aesthetically pleasing footballer, very possession-based, a bit of a slower tempo than I think Mourinho may want to instruct here at Roma so far. Again, only two competitive games, but it's been a bit more hectic than uh, I think Diawara probably thrives in. So maybe their intentions don't match. And I love Diawara as a player. I think he's brilliant. I've seen him linked to Newcastle. I've seen him linked to Wolves. With all due respect, he's better than that. He is. I'd like to see him go to a better home. I'd like to see him go to a place where he can be a first choice player. And I think the style can suit him a little bit more. Where would you put him, Sam? So it is obviously a tough task at this stage in the window with a lot of this business being done. The one I really like, but will never happen, is he would be great under Maurizio Sarri. But 
Roma to Lazio. It can't happen for a second time this summer, can it? I was saying, Pedro, when Pedro crossed that divide, he became the first player to do so since Sinisa Mihailovic, I believe. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, which I mean, is... it takes balls. Um, but I think he'd kill it in La Liga, to be honest with you. A team like Real Sociedad, I think, would absolutely... I think Diawara would be, would be great for them. And a team like Ajax as well, ultimately. Uh, these, kind of, these kind of teams. And the teams I'm talking about here, you know, Lazio, Ajax, that's the level. That's where he is at minimum. And that's what I want to see. Okay. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. He's um he's a kind of player who you know, I think a lot of people will watch him and go, he's really, really good. But you, you do look at it and and, and what you know Marino's gonna demand from those midfielders is a little bit different to perhaps what what he brings to the table, as you say. So it's quite a, a quite a tricky task for this kind of player. And and actually we've been looking at things where well, you talk about Leeds there, right? And 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 it was to flip it over and, and Leeds' exits, for example, their loan manager trying to find you know places where their players can go and thrive so they can come back to the club with either a higher value or that they can then fit into the first team picture it's such a clever move and I think this is where you look for something like this to be in place right you want someone to pick a destination for Diawara that he can go and become something very special because not only you know not only could he come back and be a really big part of things for Roma sure but also if he doesn't and they decide that that's the direction they're not going in he and massively ups his value and, and by doing so you know you kind of help the club in, in both aspects and I, I think you're right this has to be a very specifically placed loan move or a specifically placed transfer if he's going to get out of there at this point but yeah it has to be right for Diawara and I really do hope he finds a, a home because like you say a wonderful football and a real joy to watch in, in, when he's in flight yeah and look it's not as if this is just happening like he's just fallen out like let's be honest Diawara has never been at the forefront of Roma's mind even under their previous manager Paolo Fonseca whose style actually suited him really nicely they forgot to register him last season and they fielded him illegally and they ended up losing a game 3-0 by forfeit like he just seems to be an after, afterthought for Roma. And yeah. I don't like it. But <laughs> there you go. Odriozola, <laughs> I don't like it. I wanted to change. Odriozola definitely needs to move. There is a chance that maybe Diwara comes back into this fold and, and, and can recover. I just think my, uh, my early hunch on this is that he, it's not going to happen. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I think that's probably fair. It's, it's one that we'd like to see, but I like the, I mean, he did feature here and there in preseason, but they were, they were small, small appearances that, that didn't really, you know, shine, he didn't really shine in. And in that case, it's always a little bit difficult to work your way into plans. And you know, you know what Jose's like. And once he finds himself a settled squad that he really likes, he sticks with it because that's how he, he, he's always been successful. So, you know, there's, there's something to be said for that as well. And yeah. um, which leads us on to your number one, Sam. So this, I think you'll probably find quite an interesting shout, uh, but I've got some good reasons for it, I think. And I put it number one because I think it's the most interesting call. I think Rafinha from PSG, or Raphael as he, as he kind of calls himself now, uh, I think he needs to, I think he should think about leaving PSG. And I want to wind it back to 2014 first and ask you, do you remember the Rafinha that broke through in about 2014? What a wonderful footballer he looked. What a wonderful player. He looked like he was going to break into the Barca team. He took a really good loan in at Celta Vigo and it showed everyone what he was capable of. And the pathway into Barca's team back then was was very well set. It wasn't fractured and broken like it has been recently. And I thought, yeah, he and Thiago, the brothers, they're going to go for it. This is going to be amazing. Now, it didn't really happen for either of them. I mean, Thiago, to be fair, went to Bayern with Pep. But Rafinha just kind of slid away. The next Xavi tag probably didn't help, but I kind of referenced that to remind That's everyone. actually John McHale Seri. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I referenced that to remind everybody what, what a wonderfully like technically slick footballer he was, a smooth ball carrier, great touch, great technique, great ball striking. He was wonderful to watch. And I think the problem for him now, all these years later, he's ended up at PSG. He actually went back to Celta on loan at one point, um, really drifted for a bit, but he's only been at PSG a year. I think the way PSG have recruited this summer has almost meant that the need for a Rafinha-style player in midfield has kind of expired. Uh, I don't mean that harshly. I just mean look at look at the players that they now have in his position. Verratti, Paredes, Wijnaldum, Danilo, and a Herrera and Idrissa Gay for a start, let alone some of the youth prospects. And I think the recruitment here of Hakimi and Messi means that they need midfielders and players who are going to do a lot of running, a lot of balancing out, 
a lot of gap filling, a lot of off the ball stuff. They're going to get through a lot of work. Paredes, Wijnaldum, Herrera, Danilo and Gay are all very well suited to this. Where And Verratti is obviously the alpha of the pack. It's not really Rafinha's game though, is it? It's not really him. I wouldn't want to see him compromise his game because I know what he's capable of. I know what he's good at. I wouldn't want to see him compromise and become like Ander Herrera and Idrissa Gay in order to fit into this team. I don't think he should be midfielder number seven at a super club either. And maybe yeah. I've just got way more faith in Rafinha than, than others do, but I don't know. I'd like to see him go somewhere else and be the star. I, I really like a decent level team. And I could have picked any, a lot of players from PSG, to be honest with you. I think Draxler, Sarabia, all these guys are going to be looking at the incomings and going, oh, blimey. Um, but Rafinha is the one I want to see actually strut his stuff and go out there and show everyone what he's capable of. And yeah, I don't know if the role is really going to be there for him. Yeah, no, I think this is fair enough. It's a it's a tricky one because he's obviously moved there and, and got that move and, and it was kind of a big deal when he did it, didn't it? You know, I remember it being, uh, I suppose it's quite similar to the Draxler move in that regard. When, when Draxler joined PSG, it was like, oh, big move, mm. big move. And now he's just sort of faded into the, the obscurity. And we spoke about PSG's win a couple of weeks back against Strasbourg and the fact that it was basically the B team. And Rafinha didn't even play in that. And you're like, oh, okay, you know, come off the bench. And you're like, okay, you know, you really are now down this pecking order in, in, in a quite a severe way. And it makes it makes it quite upsetting to see, you know, someone of his quality. And, and, and you know, it's, it's not been a brilliant year full stop for the Alcantaras, right? You know, over, over the last season. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, you, you kind of hope that we, we've spoken about the fact that we see Thiago having a much bigger role this year, right? And and someone who can who can kick in now at Liverpool, especially with the absence of, of Wijnaldum and and start to make make the difference. And you look at Rafinha and go, right, where can you go that you could go and make a real, real difference? And, you know, you look at maybe even like a Napoli or somewhere like that, you could go, right, get in there and get yourself, you know, into a place where you can start to to dictate games again and then and start to control from the middle because there's so much talent and so much scope there and he's such a joy again and I say this a lot but not in full flight in the way that Diawara does in the way that he moves but the way that he's sort of metronomic at the bottom of something is is always such a lovely thing to watch with, with Rafinha slash Raphael whatever he wants to be called now and um, but it, it, it makes it hard to, to look at it and go oh you know I don't want you sitting there at the, at the bottom of, uh, of PSG's pecking order I want you to go and look I'd rather he was playing for a club that was below him in inverted commas. I will I'll make that clear, you know, because he wants to go and get game time and, and and be the player that, you know, he was once touted as being, then, then go somewhere that he, you know, might occasionally get games. I don't think he needs to go top level. I think Rafinha could go to a Europa League level club and absolutely tear the place up. And, and that's really what I'd like to see. Yeah. So what we figured out over the course of this is that Genie Wijnaldum is the scourge of the Alcantara brothers. <laughs> Everywhere he pops Very up, good. an Alcantara suffers. <laughs> that is true. That is true. It's um, yeah, it's genie. Yeah, get that genie back in the bottle <laughs> uh, if you are if you are Tiago or Rafinha. Um, good. Right, let's take things on to our final three. Um, and I'm going to make this relatively quick. Um, but I've picked out three clubs that I think really need to get a move on in terms of some business. The first one of these is position specific and the other two are a little bit more well wider spread but I'm going to start at three uh, with Eintracht Frankfurt and the caveat is that some of Frankfurt's business this summer has been really really good let's be frank we love Jens Petter Horger going in there I think he's going to shine he's going to shine I'm not sure though about up front, I'm a little bit wary that they have left themselves incredibly light um They've brought in Rafael Santos Borre to replace Andre Silva. Is he good enough? One. Um, and also important to remember that they also had Luka Jovic in the squad at the back end of last season. Now, Gonzalo Paciente has come back in. Is he good enough? Question mark. And maybe the important thing here is that nobody has taken the number nine shirt. And I wonder if that's telling that nobody is willing to step up and uh, and take that shirt and put that burden on their shoulders. They've got three strikers. Uh, they also have Ash in there and he, he's played twice. I think they need another body up front. Um, I really do. I think that they're really, really light. And the fact that they scored twice against a very shaky Dortmund defence, I do not think makes it any better. They were held nil-nil by Augsburg this weekend. They've got one point from six. Um, and, and I'm just a bit concerned that Frankfurt are going to struggle to score goals 
Now we saw what Glasner did at Wolfsburg last season, and we saw how much he, you know, relied on Val Veghorst to to provide the the spark up top. I think he needs a serious body in here to to do things. Now, so I'm going to suggest to them that a player that I don't hugely like, but I think might be okay under Glasner, and that's Luke De Jong, um, <laughs> who is out of favour at Sevilla. He's not going to play. Rafa Mir's come in as basically the alternative rotator to uh, Yusuf and Nasiri there now. He, I like Rafa Mir. I think Rafa Mir is going to do really well at Sevilla. Um, and I think that Luke De Jong has now left himself very short in the pecking order here. I think that, I think that Glasner needs a body like that. Uh, at, at Frankfurt. Also, he could just pick one of the eight strikers that Benfica have mm. um, because that would probably work as well. I mean, Darwin Nunez would be a great pickup um, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I think that Frankfurt are, are in danger of leaving themselves like indefinitely light. So Luke de Jong there is basically the Dutch Valtvek horse, isn't he, mate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Dutch Valtvek horse, very good. But uh, I'd say, actually, the reason they've left the number nine shirt vacant Late bid for Harry Kane. <laughs> Watch this space. Imagine, imagine the twist if he just was like, oh, I'm good to Frankfurt. Everyone would be like, what was going on? Like, huh? I'm very confused. Okay. Um, I've number two, I've got Lille. Now, I could have put Leon or Lille here. Three games into the league our season, both really struggling at the bottom. Leon have, however, just picked up a couple of clever bargains. Obviously, Jordan Shakiri has joined from Liverpool to ease the creative void left by Memphis. They picked up Emerson Palmieri on loan from Chelsea as well. Lille, however, are struggling. Despite not really losing too much of last season's title-winning squad, I think the gap left by Galtier feels like they need something bigger to spark them into life this time around. They haven't replaced him with a coach of similar quality, and I think it's going to leave them short in terms of the squad. Now, they replaced Mike Magnon, who you we talked about the start, Sam, with Leo Jardim, which is a pretty reasonable um, substitution as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's no longer going to be, I'm the best goalkeeper in Liga. He's maybe going to be fifth or sixth, but that's kind of okay. You, you know, It's difficult to pick up players of, of Magnon's quality uh, and put them into a squad that, that's starting to feel a little bit weak. Now, they lost Bukasamare, who made 41 apps last year. He's gone to Leicester. Luis Araujo left. He's here for the MLS. He's made 35 apps last year. The only player that's really come in is Angel Gomes to on Boa Vista. And I'm unsure if that fills the gap. And I think they're really, really light as centre-back. Jose Font is unbelievable and has been unbelievable for Lille but he's also 37 years old now and in reserve for him and Sven Botman there's just Thiago Jallo who's grand and the untested Saad Aguzul um, they're playing Champions League football this year they are fighting on three fronts across the course of this season and I think they're really going to struggle unless they get a couple of bodies through the door I'm talking three or four bodies for Lille here to, to make up the numbers because I think they're incredibly light yeah, done cheap work and loans so far, haven't they? Really, so need to get a move on. Unfortunately, it's been a it's been a difficult summer for them. Obviously, losing some. I understand key it's financially tough, yeah. right? And, and and I appreciate that the league I was was struggling on a financial kind of front, but you know there are, like we said, and like we talked about these players, there are players around who are cheap loans, who are free agents, who are players un, unwanted and untested in other places. I think Lille need to find some some bodies here that can help them battle, or they're going to get themselves embarrassed. And, and as champions from the previous year, the last thing you want to do is completely and utterly fall out of the European picture. Mm. I think Lille are in danger of doing that with what we've seen so far. Um, top of this list, unsurprisingly, uh, are Arsenal. Now, we've talked about Arsenal a lot. And to be honest, I don't want to pour more derision or disdain on because Arsenal fans have it tough enough uh, at the moment as far as I'm concerned. But this squad needs movement in and out before the deadline closes. They've spent £127 million. Pounds. They've got £25 million back for Willock. We've talked a wee bit about how they seem to have picked up players in positions that they kind of were already okay at, you know, and, and I appreciate that Kieran Tierney has been a wee bit injury prone and therefore bringing in a, a backup left back is, 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 is in some ways important. However, 
and you don't have a right back, it's more important to bring a right back in than a backup left back. Now, there's there's a lot going on here in terms of exits. Hector Bellerin has publicly said he wants to leave the club. The club are clearly trying to move away from him and he doesn't seem to be going anywhere. If Ainsley Maitland-Niles is not going to play, he needs to get himself somewhere that he will. Lacazette and Aubameyang, either they're committing to the club or they're not. And, and at the moment, we're seeing no signs that Lacazette and Aubameyang are feeling like they're going to be part of this season. Willian appears to be going to Corinthians, which is something, I suppose, get out of the door. Reese Nelson's still kicking around. You know, it, it just feels like if all of these players then leave, which they need to because they don't feel part of the squad, right? They're, they're getting away from this. Then they then need to go back and fill the gaps because they need to bring in a nine if Lacazette leaves. They probably need to bring in two bodies at right back, as far as I'm concerned, if they are getting, if Bayern leaves. And this leaves Arsenal in a bit of a funny position. And Dean, we've talked about their spend, we've talked about the fact they've basically dropped 100 million. In places, and, and look, I actually think that Arsenal's spending in terms of just the players they've brought in is pretty okay. I like Lekonga. I think Tavares will be a good player in time. Um, I I think Ben White is something that they needed to do. They've brought them in good age profiles. Aaron Ramsdale even, you know, it's not about what they need. I didn't think they needed another first choice goalkeeper because uh, then I was, good but like if you look at it and go okay as a long-term option in goal then sure and and actually like this isn't me knocking the spending itself because actually what they've the players they've brought in are fine but it's bringing in players in positions that you need players in and that for me feels weird because the Arsenal feel a little bit stuck and the squad doesn't feel hugely better than it was at the end of last year and that's a problem yeah look they'll do it at least one deal, probably two before the window's out. So they they will fix something. But yeah, they're not going to get the quality of player in that, that is going to make a significant difference to get them back into Europe, in, in my opinion. Um, their their transfer business has been okay. Like it, it hasn't elevated them to a new level. It might have set them up nicely for three years' time or something. But um, I wouldn't be worrying about three years' time if I was Arsenal. <laughs> I think you've always got to be worried a little bit about three years' time. And they're probably well, trying to be one of this right? bit of foresight, Dean. Never went and missed a bit of foresight. Um, I, I get, I, I get, th- I honestly get don't think they should be. Yeah. Jack, with you know, not prioritizing or seemingly not prioritizing positions of clear need. Um, but at the end of the day, if we get to September the first and they have signed three more players and they fixed the positions, then. It's probably okay. It just feels a bit weird yeah. that, like, yeah, it's it's their glaring problem. Like, right back, you start first game of the season, Callum Chambers. Second game of the season, Cedric Suarez. Come on, guys. Yeah, it is, it's that, isn't it? it? It's not that Arsenal's business has been poor. I mean, this section is called clubs that need to get a move on. It's not a uh, it's not a clubs that are absolutely wrecked. <laughs> it's uh, clubs that really need to get a shift on with their business. And Arsenal, first and foremost amongst those clubs, as far as I'm concerned. All right, I think that probably finishes off our transfer section. We'll be back with Melon of the Week and, of course, the gibberish rankings. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast. Me, Jack Collins, Dean Jones and Sam Ty. And Dean, it's time for my favourite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Vodjuk Chesney, the Juve goalkeeper. <laughs> and an absolute nightmare. Um, people are like, oh, Juve didn't get off to a winning start. That's a surprise. Maybe they won't have a good season. Well, they would have got off to a good start if Chesney had just been normal. <laughs> Um, he gave away a stupid penalty where he just like literally just dives at the player's feet and pulls him down. Um, so that's that's the start of things going wrong, and that allows Udinese to come back into the game. Yeah, um, Roberto Pereira scoring from the spot, and then you think, okay, well that's that out the way. He's got his clangor out the way. Let's see if he can calm down a bit here. No, I mean what he did next was absolutely ridiculous. Receives a back pass. He's got two Udinese players closing in on him from either angle. He tries to go one way and then does a drag back to get out of that mess. Um, finds himself faced with another player and just basically ends up in a, a lump on the floor um, as um, Delefeo knocks it into an empty net. Now, at first, it looked like he got away with it. Um, it was ruled out um, and he had this smirk on his face, but VAR saw to that. The goal counted um, and Juve, despite a, a last-minute goal of their own from Ronaldo that was ruled out by VAR um, they've ended with a 2-2 and it's all Chesney's fault he's an absolute melon <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to give him Mel of the Week, right? But we have to do give a little bit of credit, Sam. In the, in the bank, he was Juve's best player last year, probably. Yeah, I think he probably was. It wasn't a good season. It's never a good season if you're a super club and your best player, or arguably your best player, is, is your goalkeeper. Um, Manchester United had this problem with David De Gea for like four years. He was by far their best player for ages. And it was as much a a positive for De Gea as it was a, a, an overwhelming negative for the rest of the team. And that was the case with Juve and, and Chesney last season. So, look, not off to a great start. Probably the last player you'd expect to implode on day one, given what he did last season and given his status. We move, don't we? We move. We hope it gets better next week. That's all we can do in football. Aye. The gibberish alarm. The gibberish alarm. Yeah, I thought it was. It does sound like the gibberish I heard alarm. That. <laughs> oh, that's the gibberish alarm. Sam, you back to actually doing some gibberish this weekend? I've had some time to think about it, yeah. Excellent. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, thought about your sins, have you? Yeah. Come back with a bear. I feel like I've had a week of getting burned by things I thought I liked, but it turns out I didn't like. So I've actually uh, I've used that as inspiration and I've put together three things you think are good, but are actually bad. And... <laughs> Number three. This could go. This could go. <laughs> number three. Number three is the only one that's not built on personal experience, but it is built from from stories I've heard from friends and a bit of research. Owning a pet tortoise, you think would be good, but actually is bad. Now it sounds wicked. Toby the tortoise bopping about your house, chilling, eating. I've always wanted a tortoise, so I'm actually quite intrigued. Yeah, eating leaves, loving life, probably sitting on your belly. I don't know, whatever it is. But yeah, Watch a match of the day with yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, that would be sweet, right? Belly. It's a Great good advice. idea. Apparently, the reality is very different. First of all, they're super expensive. Second, they live for ages. So if you like get bored of them after like two, three years, and remember they don't do a lot, then you're still on the hook for maybe another 23, 27. They can live up to like 25, 30 years of age. It's ridiculous. They also hibernate. So they literally just leave for like months. They're just like, bye, and just sleep for maybe two, three months, four months. They're responsible for quite a lot of disease spreading, uh, most notably salmonella. And uh, apparently the experts have come to the conclusion that tortoises don't actually like humans very much. <laughs> and so even if you do want to sit there, with him, you know, and watch match the day. He's actually not interested in doing that with you. <laughs> so it's a bit of a shame, really. I think it's a good idea. I think the reality of owning a pet tortoise might be a bit disappointing. Okay, oh. very good. I'll have to look more into this before I really commit to the Don't idea of, of. If you do get one, though, you have to call it Toby. Uh, okay, I was going to call it Terence, but okay, Tango. fair enough. Yeah, exactly. Tango the Tango tortoise has got a sick ring to it. See how easily we talk ourselves into these things. Yeah, that's it. I'm going to go buy one now. Right, what's Tango is going to give you salmonella and hide for four months in hibernation. Don't do it. Sounds great, to be fair. <laughs> Sounds great. Okay. Um, what's in it too? So. Number two is fantasy football. It, oh yeah, this is the correct, correct. It causes nothing but pain and misery. It's just mis Rubbish. It's missed it. opportunities. It's coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's heartache. It's heartbreak. In the community on my timeline in the regular fantasy football, just this week alone, I've seen uproar over the fact that, turns out, Deli Alley takes penalties now. Uh, I've seen a shot-by-shot -shot XG examination of Ivan Tony to figure out if he's worth keeping or you should sell him. And I've seen the natural highs and jubilation of those who hopped on the Costa Simicast train and the despair from those that missed out. Look. <laughs> I'm not immune to this. I play draft and it's just as nervy. Jack, you and I sat together at the pub yesterday and I said, I'm 18 points ahead uh, in my 1v1 and I'm just against Mikhail yeah. Antonio. I said, I'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, I, I was fine. But just. Bloody yeah. hell. He got 16 points. I ended up winning 49-47. <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. And it once again, you know, I'm sat in front of my television. It's Monday night. It's nearing 10 p.m. I should be winding down, read a book, go to sleep. I am screaming at my television for David Moyes to take Antonio off. 84th minute, Moyes. He's your only striker. This game is finished. That man deserves an ovation from the crowd. Take him off. Take him <laughs> off so he doesn't ruin my entire week. And not for the first time. I'm just sat there thinking, why have I done this? What am I putting myself yeah. through? And I know I'm not alone. Millions out there feeling the same pain. Fantasy football is not good for the soul. 
No, things that feel good but are actually not good. Fantasy football is a very, very good shout. I like that a lot. And I'm intrigued what you're going to top it with, Sam. Yeah, it's Deliveroo. Um, or for that matter, any upmarket kind of food delivery service. Warm food, hot food. Um, I've decided there's nothing worse than the post-Deliveroo clarity. That feeling, that thought that flicks through your brain. Did I really pay that much for that food? Now, don't get me wrong. Like I love the fact that takeaway culture has become much more varied and, and has expanded beyond, shall we get an Indian or a Chinese? Or do you want to drive to the fish and chip shop? To have such variety and different cuisines is awesome. But a lot of this food doesn't travel very well. And I've actually got past the point of novelty and I've realized I'm still paying a restaurant price for some food that is delivered to me in a plastic box via a scooter for 20 minutes. And ultimately, it's, I don't think it's worth it. And I don't know if this is just, I don't know, six years later, I finally realized I'm being scammed or the fact that you know restaurants have just opened up again in the world and I'm actually enjoying that a bit more. And I'm thinking, why the hell would I do this? But I had a genuine point of no return this weekend. I was recovering from. What did you order? I recovering from my second vaccine. And I was feeling a bit rough, and I just was like, "I'm just going to order some food." And I had a look, and to be honest, the side effects of the vaccine they weren't great, and it, I didn't really have much of an appetite. But I did want to eat. I knew I needed to eat, so I picked something. I was like, "That looks delicious. I really want that." Chicken waffles and chips. Now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop the story for a second. This is completely your own fault for ordering something ridiculous. Chicken like wa- chicken waffles. Chicken, Are you having a laugh? Chicken and waffles and bacon and chips. Well, of course I was never going to travel well. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, this is the problem. What, the problem is with people with like, what I've realised about this is some things don't travel and some things do. Right? Pizza always travels yes. well, doesn't it, Dean? Yes. Dean knows yes. pizza travels well. Oh, yeah. Especially when so Dean's delivering it. You order pizza. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you're right. You're right. if I'm delivering it. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I mean, the thing is, though, you want to try these different things on them. You get, you get, in, you get in, seduced by the different things on the menu, and no. like, th- th- it, obviously, it was a bad idea. But this is just, this is just the tipping point. I've, I've, I've had, I've had, I'm going to. I tell you what, though, I'm not deleting Uber Eats because that's got McDonald's, and McDonald's is as important to me as oxygen. Um, I've had McDonald's well, for about it, eight years. It travels well, McDonald's. It travels key, really right? well. That is the, McDonald's that is travels the point. well. The ch- no chips ever travel well, ever. Any chips, nothing. Anyway, I paid a lot of money for these chicken waffles and they were rubbish. And I've got I've got to the point where this is not a good idea. And I'm either going to stop ordering takeaway. That's a lie. I'm definitely going to do that. Or I'm just going to order pizza from McDonald's. That's it. Or Indian. Because we, we need to go back to the basics. I think those existed for 20 years as the only options for a reason. They travel. Yeah. Absolutely. It's key. It's important here. Like also there are certain things that have learned to travel well. Wagamama's travels well yeah. because they put it all in different containers so it doesn't all like mash yeah, it's up like together. A sieve, isn't it or something? You get those plastic like buckets mm. that work, right? And they're actually well useful because you can keep them to bring other things around in. Like the whole thing's just set up really well. Burritos travel well usually because they're pretty encased yeah. and they go in a plastic in a wrap. This is it. You stick to the things you know. Mm. This is what I've learned through my time on this earth. Stick to what you know. Don't try new stuff, um, and 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 then you then you end up happier than than what you were before. <laughs> Never order chicken waffles wherever you are in the entire world. And on that bombshell, we're going to call this a day. And all the stuff for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Tai. Stand by, chicken waffles just not delivered. <laughs> thank you very much to Dean Jones cheers mate I've been Jack Collins this has been Rags FC we hope you've enjoyed this episode please do give us a vote in the FCA awards if you fancy the link is in the description uh, and we will see you next week Rags squad when we'll be looking back at what actually happened at the end of this transfer window take it easy peace peace